You may wonder why I have brought you this evening to this passage of Scripture in the book of 1 Samuel. It's such a strange reading, talking about the god Dagon and the Ark of the Covenant and the strange things that happened in the temple of Dagon. And yet, the message, albeit many written many, many thousands of years ago in an Old Testament tribal context, still has something to say to us. Let me give you the, the background of the story. There was the Israelites, they had their country, and the Philistines, they had their country, which was just beside the sea, and they didn't get on very well. Think of Russia and Ukraine at the moment. And the Philistines invaded and started to fight, and things weren't going well for the Israelites. The Philistines were fearsome fighters, and if anything, their weapons were better. Previously, when the Israelites and the Philistines had fought, God had been on the Israelites' side, and even against overwhelming odds, the Israelites were able to win, but not this time. Each time there was a battle, the Philistines got the better of the Israelites, and the Israelites were getting desperate. And they came up with what they thought was a clever plan. They said, you know, we're losing this, but there's one way we are guaranteed not to lose. Because we have the presence of God in our midst. Now, in those days, the presence of God was symbolized by the Ark of the Covenant. It was just a box. In it, there were some ancient historic artifacts. But it, it was in the shape of a seat as well as being in a box. And it was placed in the Holy of Holies inside the temple. And only once a year was the high priest allowed to go in to the Holy of Holies. That's where the Ark of the Covenant sat. And they came up with this clever plan that they would take this Ark of the Covenant, which symbolized the presence of God, and they would take it with them into battle. This was the logic. They said, we cannot lose. God will not allow the Ark the symbol of his presence to be captured by the Philistines. This is guaranteed to win. God will be on our side. We will win this battle. But it didn't happen. Just like Manchester City getting beat by my team Spurs. Everybody said, oh, Spurs will get beat. But they didn't. The Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant. Now, this was very symbolic. The Philistines knew how precious this was to the Israelites. They knew that they had done something entirely demoralizing to the Israelites, and the Israelites themselves knew that too. And so the Philistines took this Ark of the Covenant back home. And they put it in the most lofty, esteemed place that they could think of, and that was in their own temple. The temple of their god, Dagon, which was a god of fruitfulness. A god that they prayed to, that when they prayed, they hoped would come good harvests. 
It's just a piece of wood in the shape of a, per a person. But that's what they did. And they placed the Ark of the Covenant and this idol, this God, Dagon, side by side and thought to themselves, this is great. Meanwhile, the Israelites were so demoralized. This is the end. We are going to be wiped out by the Philistines. We have lost the presence of God. God has turned against us. And their minds were in disarray. And that's where we pick up the story. Because it has things to tell us. You see, this God, Dagon, was representation of what really mattered to the Philistines. And what really mattered to the Philistines was their prosperity. That they'd have a good seed time and it would be followed by a good harvest. And they would all grow rich and wealthy. And life would be good. That's what that meant to them, Dagon, like God Dagon. It represented in what a word we might call materialism. That they would have plenty of the good things of life. And already we can begin to see the application to our lives today. What's in the talk in the news so much these days? If it's not about your career, and what it's about? It's about the cost of living going up. And we're all a wee bit worried, and people are complaining, and, and things are going to be a wee bit tighter in the next 12 months, or maybe for longer. And we wonder, will we get the same holidays, and, 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 and uh, will we have the same luxuries as we're accustomed to? And then we see this picture in our mind's eye of the God Dagon and the symbol of the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, side by side. And I want to ask the question, is that a picture of my life? Is that a picture of your life? If we think of the God of Dagon as money or materialism, is that our life, money and God side by side? Verses 1 and 2 of 1 Samuel 5. After the Philistines had captured the ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then they carried the ark into Dagon's temple and set it beside Dagon. Oh, television. You are so wonderful, shiny and black, sitting at the center of our room with all the seats turned to face it. With the push of a button, you come to life and fill my life with color and noise and thoughts. You used to be fat and bulky, but now you're thin. You used to be small, but now you're so big. And the color and shapes used to be a bit fuzzy, but now it's all high definition. And now you are smart. You are smart TV. And I love you all the more. And shiny car, you sit in my driveway. And when I choose to, you take me everywhere I want to go. And not only that, you make me feel important. You show others how well I'm getting on in the world. 
Thank you, shiny car. Initial rental, £230, 16 monthly payments of £230. And final payment of £4,650. You may lose your house if it is secured against your car. I thank you for being my shiny car. And shiny credit card. You are like Dagon, the ancient pagan god of fertility. You make me fruitful. With you I can buy things that I can only otherwise dream about. With you I bought my TV and my shiny car and my holidays. The Philistines called their god Dagon, but our society calls our god money. This is the idol of our time. Our society is no different from that of the Philistines who had built a temple for their idol Dagon, a god of fertility, a god that will give them riches. Into a temple they brought their best trophy of war ever, what their enemies, the Israelites, called the Ark of the Covenant. The Israelites had brought it into battle thinking that their God would not allow them to be defeated. The ark was a symbol of God's presence. If the box was in the battle, they said, then God had to be with them. Was that not right? But when you leave God out of your heart, don't think you can put God in a box. They are defeated. The Ark of the Covenant is captured, and the last words on this incident comes from the dying lips of Phineas's wife. Phineas was the chief priest who had just delivered a baby boy, and she calls him Ichabod. Ichabod. And Ichabod means the glory of God has departed. They thought that they would put God in a box and take him to battle. And the reason why they thought that was because God was no longer in their hearts. But as we're going to see, you can't put God in a box. Well, what now? The story shifts to the Philistines. The Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of God's presence, is put side by side with Dagon, the god of fertility. This God of fertility is a God that is there to make them rich. And they sit, and they sit Dagon and the Ark of the Covenant together side by side. It reminds me of Matthew 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either the one will hit, or either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Bible tells us that God stands outside the door and knocks to get in. We open the door and we say to God, come in God, but it's a bit crowded in here. What makes it crowded? Well, there's another God in my life. What's the name of this God? Well, the Philistines called him Dagon. We call him money. But come in, God. 
I can squeeze you in as long as you don't mind sharing the space with my love for money. And this is where we are in the story so far with the Philistines and with ourselves. But God doesn't let it sit just there. In verses 3 and 4, we read this. When the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. They took Dagon and put him back in his place. But the following morning when they rose, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. His head and hands had been broken off and were lying on the threshold. Only his body remained. Money fell over. Money fell over and its arms broke off and its head broke off. And what God was saying, don't try and put me side by side with Dagon or with money because before me they are powerless. I wonder how many here have had the experience of money falling over, of getting into debt, of being burdened in, in, in paying off loans that dictates to you your life and takes away your freedom. We only have to look at recent history. 2007, money fell over. The great subprime scandal which uh, could have ruined the banks if it were not for government intervention. And then this pandemic, the colossal sums that as a country we will have to pay back. It's two billion a month to continue with testing and tracing of this pandemic, even now. Money's not a good thing to trust in. When you sit beside the bed of a dying loved one, money means nothing. The crashing lives of so many celebrities tell us that money doesn't buy happiness. Dementia that robs us of our memories robs us also of our wealth as bank balances disappear to pay the weight of care costs. Believe me when I say that when you have been told you are seriously ill, the belongings that once you treasured and money that you treasured won't mean much. When we bring money into our heart, when we love money, we place it where it should not be. Only God should be in the temple to be worshipped. So we have this situation where we face the challenge and the question, are we trying to keep God and money together to worship them both? Do we not realize that money is powerless? But the most important thing to realize about this story is the glory of God. Verse 6 
It says this, The Lord's hand was heavy upon the people of Ashdod and its vicinity. He brought devastation upon them and afflicted them with tumors. The Hebrew word for heavy is kabed, which is also the same word used for glory. Glory is the weightiness of God. God is heavy. And three times in this passage of Scripture, God's heavy hand is referred to in verse 6 and in verse 7 and it's in verse 9. And it's deliberate and purposeful. When Phineas' wife named her child Ichabod, she was saying something. She was saying God's glory had departed, and so it had from the Israelites, but not from the world. And even though God was not in the hearts of the people of Israel, that doesn't mean that God wouldn't allow His glory to be seen. And His glory is seen and felt in a pagan temple among a pagan people. And they realize that this God of Israel is a heavy and weighty and mighty God who uses the forces of nature to let them know who He is. And so, uh, firstly, the Ark of the Covenant is Ashdod, and and they said, well, we've had it long enough. Let's give it to our good neighbors in, 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 uh, in Gath. And uh, so the good neighbors in Gath took it, but they didn't want it for very long. And so they had the same thought. Well, we've had this trophy long enough. Let's give it to the good neighbors in Ekron and let them have it. But they had got wise to what was happening. And they turned their face against it and said, do not bring this ark here and let it stay here. And they called all the rulers together and they said, let's send it back to the Israelites. And so the Israelites had the ark of the covenant returned to them. They didn't lift a hand. They didn't turn up with what was left of their army to demand it back and fight to the death to get it. They did none of that. Now, what happened was that these pagan people saw the glory of God and the heaviness of the glory of God and said, let's give this back. The Robert Ballard, who was the underwater discoverer who found Titanic at the bottom of the ocean, was asked to comment on climate change at the time when he was in Belfast. And he said this, nature is angry and it's fighting back. And when the church is feeble, and when the church is disarray, do not think that God's glory will depart from this world. It will not. For God's glory will be seen in nature and all around. And we see it. 
And we can see, yes, there's maybe a link by human behavior and greed and climate change. We can see all that. There is a connection. But what a connection. Hurricanes formed in mid-Atlantic that reached far north as New York. Hundreds of tornadoes formed in thunderclouds. Floods in the UK that overwhelm our coastal defenses, rising seas and melting ice caps, tidal waves that trigger nuclear meltdowns. And yes, there is a correlation between the weather and our love of money. But there's also a spiritual correlation that God will have his glory shine upon this world. Listen to Psalm 93, verse 1. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and is armed with strength. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. The seas have lifted up, O Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves, mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your statutes stand firm. Holiness adorns your house for endless days, O Lord. This text is a challenge not to allow ourselves spiritually to be sucked in to the materialism and the love of money that is upon the world. It is that. And that's a challenge to us. And the temptation is there in every one of us to go down that road and give God a crowded house to come into in our life. But there's also another thing here. And it is that God is a God of glory and God's glory is heavy. You know, as Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, the Pharisees shouted at Jesus to stop the people making such a fuss with their adoration and their cheers. And I loved this reply of Jesus. We find it in Luke 19, verse 40. He says to the Pharisees, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Jesus is saying, such is the glory of God. If all these people stopped their worship and their adoration, such is the power and the weight of God, those things that are inanimate and are under your feet, those things would shout out my name. It's perhaps not for us to interpret all the signs of the time, to work out what all these disasters and, and afflictions that are upon the world, what they all mean. But all I know is this, that each one of them makes 
the idols of humanity seem feeble and weak. And that's the message of chapter 5 of 1 Samuel. That you can't put God in a box. You can't say what God is to do and what God is not to do. He won't be boxed in. He won't become a trophy. God is God. And he will be known. And the frailty of humanity and the gods that are the idols of our hearts will be seen for what they are. Mere human inventions that have no power. Let us pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father. We believe in a mighty God. A God that cannot be manipulated or boxed in or told what to do. A God that cannot be despised and reduced to that of a wooden idol. No, the God we know, the God of the Lord Jesus Christ is a mighty God. He is a God heavy in his glory. And we thank you for it. And forgive us, Heavenly Father, when we have presented to you our crowded hearts. Help us to rid ourselves of those idols that should not be there. That the only presence in our hearts is that of our God whom we know through the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.